0: Chapter eighteen of the Worm Ouroboros. This Librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Jason Mills The Worm Ouroboros by E. R. Edison. Chapter eighteen THE MURTHER of Galandus by Corsus Of the uprising of the wars of King the Twelfth in Demonland, wherein is seen how in an old man of war stiff neckedness and tyranny may overlive good generalship, and how a great king's displeasure dureth only so long as it agreeth with his policy. Nought befell to tell of, after sailing of the fleet from Tenemos, till August was nigh spent. Then came a ship of witchland from the west, and sailed up the river to Carcy, and moored by the water gate. Her skipper went straight a-land, and up into the royal palace in Carcy, and the new banquet hall, whereas was King Garas the twelfth eating and drinking with his folk. And the skipper gave letters into the hands of the king. By then was night fallen, "'and all the bright lights kindled in the hall. "'The feast was three parts done, "'and thralls poured forth unto the king "'and unto them that sat at meat with him "'dark wines that crowned the banquet. "'And they set before the feasters sweetmeats, "'wondrous fair, bulls and pigs and griffins and other, "'made all of sugar-paste, "'some wines and spigots in their bellies to taste, "'of every one with his silver fork. "'Mirth and pleasure was that night in the great hall in Carsey, "'but now were all fallen silent.' looking on the king's countenance while he read his letters but none might read the countenance of the king that was inscrutable as the high blind walls of Carcy brooding on the fen so in that waiting silence sitting in his great high seat he read his letters which were sent by Corsus and writ in manner following renowned king and most high prince and lord Gerais twelfth of witchland and of demonland and of all kingdoms the sun doth spread his beams over Coursus your servant doth prostrate myself before your greatness even before the face of the earth the gods grant unto you most noble lord health and continuance and safety many years after that i had received my dispatch and leave from your majesty whereby you did of your royal goodness give and grant unto me to be chief commander of all the warlike forces furnished and sent by you into demon it may please your majesty I did with haste carry mine army, and all weapons, munitions, victuals, and other provisions, accordingly toward those parts of Demonland that lie coasted against the eastern seas. Here, with twenty-seven ships, and the more part of my peepel, I sailing up into the Frith Micklefrith, did find ten or eleven demon-ships a-sailing, whereof Vol had the commandment without the herberer of Lookinghaven, and by and by did Mac sink all ships of the said Vol, without exception, and did slay the maest part of them that were with him, and his a shipboard. Now I let you understand, O my lord the king, that or ever we made the landfall, I, severing my army into two troops, had dispatched Galandus with thirteen ships north about to land with fifteen hundred men at Echinois, with command that he should thence away fare up into the hills through Selyoland, and so seize the pass called the Style, because none should come over from the west, for that is a good fighting stead, as a man might very conveniently hold against great numbers if he be not an ass. So having rid me well of Vol, and by my hope and secret intelligence, these were their entire fleet that was now all sunken and put to destruction by me, and truly it was a paltry work and light, so few they were against my force against them, I did come aland at the place Hight Grunda by the north part of the Frith, where the water out of Breckingdale falleth into the sea. Here I made make my camp, with the rampires thereof, reaching to the shore of the salt sea, both before and behind of me, and drew in supplies, and brent and slaw, and sent forth horsemen to bring me in intelligence and on the fourth day had notice of a great power and strength coming at me from south out of Owlswick to assail me in Grunda, and did fight against them, and did fling them back, being four or five thousand soldiers, who, returning next day toward Owlswick, I did follow after, and so took them facing me in a place called Crosby Outsikes, where they did make shift to keep the fords and passages of Ethry River very strong. Here was befallen an horrible great murdering battle where thy servant did oppress and overthrow with much dexterity those demons, making of them so bloody and cruel a slaughter as hath not been seen afore, not once nor twice in man's memory, and blithely I tell you of Viz, their chief captain killed, and dead of strips taken at Crosbyfeld. So have I now in the hollow of my hand by this victory the conquest and possession of all this land of demon land, and do now purpose to deal with their castles, villages, riches, cattle houses and people, in my way, on all this Estran seaboard, within fifty miles' compass, with rapes and murthers and burnings and all harsh discipline, according to Your Majesty's will. And do stand with mine army before Owlswick, bloody Spitfire's notable great castle and fortress, that alone yet liveth in this land of your dangerous, grievous, and malicious arch-enemies, and the same Spitfire being at my coming, fled into the mountains, all do submit and become Your Majesty's vassals but I will not conclude, nor determine of peace, no, not with man, woman, nor child of them, but kill them all, having always before my mind the satisfaction of your princely pleasure. Lest I be too large, I leave here to tell you of many rare and remarkable occurrence and observations which nevertheless I lay by in my mind to acquaint you with against my coming home or by further writing. Laxus bearing a king's name to puff himself up, alleging he won the sea-fight, but I shall satisfy your majesty to the contrary. Grove followeth the wars in as good sort as his lean spare body will well bear. Of Galandus I needs must say he do meddle too much in my counsels, still desiring me do thus and thus, but I will not. Heretofore, in the like unrespective manner, he hath now and then used me, which I have swallowed, but will not no more. Who, if he go about to calumniate me in anything, I pray you, Lord, let me know it, though I despise both him and all such and in acknowledgment of your high favours unto me would you kiss your majesty's hand. Most humbly and reverently unto my lord the king, under my seal, Corsus. The king put up the writing in his bosom. Bring me Corsus's cup, said he. They did so, and the king said, Fill it with Thramnian wine, drop me an emerald in it to spawn lucky the cup, and drink him fortune and wisdom in victory. Presmira! that had watched the king till now as a mother watches her child in the crisis of a fever, rose up radiant in her seat, crying, Victory! And all they fell a-shouting and smiting on the boards, till the roof-beams shook with their great shouting, while the king drank first and passed on the cup, that all might drink in turn. But Gerais the king sat dark among them, as a cliff of serpentine that frowns above dancing surges of a spring-tide summer sea. When the women left the banquet-hall, the Lady Presmira came to the king and said, Your brow is too dark, Lord, if indeed this news is all good that lights your heart and mind from withinward. The king answered and said, Madam, it is very good news, yet remember that hard it is to lift a full cup without spilling. Then was summer worn, and harvest brought in, and on the twenty-seventh day after these tidings afore writ came another ship of Witchland out of the west, sailing over the teeming deep and rode on a full tide up Druima and through the Ergaspian Mere, and so anchored below Carsey an hour before supper-time. That was a calm, clear, sunshine evening, and King Gerais rode home from his hunting at that instant when the ship made fast by the water-gate. And there was the Lord Gro aboard of her, and the face of him as he came up out of the ship, and stood to greet the king, was the colour of quick a slaking. The king looked narrowly at him, then, greeting him with much outward show of carelessness and pleasure, "'made him go with him to the king's own lodgings. "'There the king made Gro drink a great stoop of red wine, "'and said to him, "'I am all of a muck sweat from the hunting. "'Go in with me to my baths, "'and tell me all while I bathe me before supper. "'Princes of all men be in greatest danger, "'for that men dare not acquaint them with their own peril. "'Thou lookest prodigious. Know that shouldst thou proclaim to me "'all my fleet and army in demonland brought to sheer destruction. "'That should not dull my stomach for the feast to-night.' which land is not so poor I might not pay back such a loss thrice and four times, and yet have money in my purse. So speaking, the king was come with Gros into his great bath-chamber, walled and floored with green serpentine, with dolphins carved in the same stone to belch water into the baths, that were lined with white marble and sunken in the floor, both wide and deep, the hot bath on the left and the cold bath, many times greater, on the right as they entered the chamber. The king dismissed all his attendants, and made Gro sit on a bench piled with cushions above the hot bath, and drink more wine. And the king stripped off his jerkin of black cowhide, and his hose, and his shirt of white beshry and wool, and went down into the steaming bath. Gro looked with wonder on the mighty limbs of Gerais the king, so lean and yet so strong to behold, as if he were built all of iron. And a great marvel it was how the king, when he had put off his raiment and royal apparel, and went down stark naked into the bath. Yet seemed to have put off not one whit of his kingliness and the majesty and dread which belonged to him. So when he had plunged a while in the swirling waters of the bath, and soaped himself from head to foot, and plunged again, the king lay back luxuriously in the water, and said to Gro, Tell me of Corsus and his sons, and of Laxus and Galandus, and of all my men west overseas, as thou shouldst tell of those whose life or death in our conceit importeth as much as that of a scarab fly. Speak and fear not. "'keeping nothing back, nor glossing over nothing. "'Only that should make me dreadful to thee "'if thou shouldst practice to deceive me.' "'Groh spake, and said, "'My lord the king, you have letters, I think, from Corsus, "'that have told you how we came to Demonland, "'and how we got a victory over Vol in the sea-fight, "'and landed at Grunda, "'and fought two battles against Viz "'and overthrew him in the last, and he is dead.' "'Didst thou see these letters?' asked the king. Gro answered, "'Aye.' Is it a true tale, they tell me? Gro answered, Mainly true, O King, though somewhat now and then he windeth truth to his turn, swelling over much his own achievement, as at Grunda, where he maketh too great the demon's army, that by a just computation were fewer than us. And the battle was not ours, nor theirs, for while our left held them by the sea, they stormed our camp on the right. And well, I think, twas to inveigle us into country that should be likelier to his purpose that Viz fell back toward Owlswick in the night, but as touching the battle of Crosby Outsacks, Corsus braggeth not too much. That was greatly fought and greatly devised by him, who also slew Viz with his own hands in the thick of the battle, and made a great victory over them, and scattered all their strength, coming upon them at unawares and taking them upon advantage. So saying Gross stretched forth his delicate white fingers to the goblet at his side and drank. And now, O king, said he, leaning forward over his knees and running his fingers through the black perfumed curls above his ears i am to tell you of the uprising of those discontents that infected all our fortunes and confounded us all now came galandus with some few men down from breakingdale leaving his main force of fourteen hundred men or so to hold the stile as was agreed upon aforetime now galandus had advertisement of spitfire come out of the west country where he was sojourning when we came into Demonland, disporting himself in the mountains with huntings of the bears that do there inhabit but now come hotfoot eastward and a gathering of men at Galing and on Galandus's urgent asking was held a council of war three days after Crosby Outsacks, wherein Galandus set forth his counsel that we should fare north to Gaeling and disperse them. All thought well of this counsel save Corsus, but he took it mighty ill, being stubborn set to carry out his predetermined purpose, which was to follow up this victory of Crosby Outsacks by so many cruel murders, rapes, and burnings up and down the countryside in upper and lower Tiveranderdale, and down by Onward Lythe and the southern seaboard as should show these vermin he was their master whom they did require, and the scourge in your hand, O king, that must scourge them to the bare bone. To which Galandus, making answer that the preparations at Gailing did argue something to be done, and not afar off, and that this were a pretty matter, if Owlswick and Dreperby shall be able to enforce us cast our eyes over our shoulders, while those before us, meaning in Gailing, strike us in the brains. Corsus answereth most unhandsomely, I will not satisfy myself with this intelligence until I find it more soundly seconded. Nor would he listen, but said that this was his mind, and all we should abide by it, or an ill thing should else befall us. That this south-eastern corner of the land, being gained with great terror and cruelty, the neck of the wars in Demonland should then be broken, and all the others, whether in Gailing or otherwhere, could not choose but die like dogs. That twas pure folly, because of the hardness and naughty ways of the country, to set upon Gailing, and that he would quickly show Galandus he was lord there. So was the council broke up in great discontent, and Galandus abode before Owlswick, which, as thou knowest, O King, is a mighty strong place, seated on an arm of the land that runneth out into the sea beside the harbour, and a paven way goeth thereto, that is covered with the sea, save at low tide of a spring tide. And we drew great store of provisions thither, against a siege, if such should befall us. But Corsus, with his main forces, went south about the country, murdering and ravishing, on his way to the new house of goldry at Drepaby, giving out that from henceforth should folk speak no more of Drepperby mire and Drepaby combust that the ghouls did burn, but both should shortly be burnt alike as two cinders. Aye, said the king, coming out of the bath, and did he burn it so? Gro answered, He did, O King. The king lifted his arms above his head, and plunged head foremost into the great cold swimming-bath. Coming forth anon, he took a towel to dry himself, and holding an end of it in either hand came and stood by Gro, the towel rushing back and forth behind his shoulders and said proceed tell me more lord said Gro, so it was that they in owlswick gave up the place at last unto golandus and Corsus came back from the burning of drepebi all the folk in that part of Demonland had he brought to misery in her most sharp condition but now was he to find by sour experience what that neglect had bred him when he went not north to gailing as golandus had counseled him to do for now was word of Spitfire marching out from Galing with an hundred and ten-score foot and two hundred and fifty horse. Upon which tidings we placed ourselves in very warlike fashion, and moved north to meet them, and on the last morn of August fell in with their army in a place called the Rapes of Brema, in the open parts of Lower Tiveranderdale. All we were blithe at heart, for we held them at an advantage both in numbers, for we were more than three thousand four hundred fighting men, whereof were four hundred a horseback, and in the goodness of our fighting stead, being perched on the edge of a little valley, looking down on Spitfire and his folk. There we abode for a time, watching what he would do, till Corsus grew weary of this, and said, We are more than they. I will march north, and then east across the head of the valley, and so cut them off, that they escape not north again to Galing after the battle, when they are worsted by us. Now Galandus ne'er said this strongly, willing him to stand and abide their onset, For being mountaineers, they must certainly choose at length, if we kept quiet, to attack us up the slope, and that were mightily to our advantage. But Corsus, that still grew from day to day more hard to deal with, would not hear him, and at last sticked not to accuse him before them all, which was most false, that he did practised again the command for himself, and had caused Corsus to be set upon to have him and his sons murdered as they went from his lodging the night before. And Corsus gave order for the march across their front, as I have told it you, O King, which indeed was the counsel of a madman, for Spitfire, when he saw our column crossing the Dalehead on his right, gave order for the charge, took us in the flank, cut us in two, and in two hours had our army smashed like an egg that is dropped from a watch-tower on a pavement of hard granite. Never saw I saw evil a destruction wrought on a great army. Hardly and in evil case we won back to Owlswick, with but seventeen hundred men, and of them some hundreds wounded sore. And if two hundred fell o' the other side, tis a wonder and past expectation. So great was Spitfire's victory upon us at the rapes of Bremer. And now was our war worsened by fugitives coming from the north, telling how Zig had fallen upon the small force that was left to hold the style, and clean overwhelmed them. So were we now shut up in Owlswick, and close besieged by Spitfire and his army, who but for the devilish folly of Corsus had ne'er made head against us. An ill night was that, O oh my lord the king, in Owlswick by the sea. Corsus was drunk, and both his sons— guzzling down goblet upon goblet of the wine from Spitfire's cellars in Owlswick, till at last he was fallen spewing on the floor betwixt the tables, and Galandus, standing amongst us all, galled to the quick after the shame and ruin of our fortunes, cried out and said, Soldiers of Witchland, I am a weary of this corsus, a rioter, a lecher, a surfeiter, a brawler, a spiller of armies, our own, not our enemies, who must bring us all to hell, and we take not order to prevent him. And he said, I will go home again to Witchland, and have no more share nor part in this shame. But all they cried, To the devil with Corsus, be thou our general. Grow was silent a minute. O king, he said at last, if so it be that the malice of the gods and mine unfortune have brought me to that case that I am part guilty of that which came about, blame me not over much. Little I thought any word of mine should help Corsus and the going forward of his bad enterprise when all they called still upon Galandus, saying, Ha! ha! Galandus! Weed out the weeds, lest the best corn fester! Be thou our general! He took me aside to speak with him, because he said he would take further judgment of me before he would consent in so great a matter. And I, seeing deadly danger in these disorders, and thinking that there only lay our safety, if he should have command, who was both a soldier, and whose mind was bent to high attempts and noble enterprises, did egg him forward to accept it, so that he, albeit unwilling, said yea to them at last, which all applauded, and Corsus said nought against it, being too sleepy sodden, as we thought, with drunkenness to speak or move. So for that night we went to bed, but in the morn, O King, was a great clamour betimes in the main court in Avelswick, and I, running forth in my shirt in the misty grey of dawn, beheld Corsus standing forth in the gallery before Galandus's lodgings that were in an upper chamber. He was naked to the waist his hairy breast and arms to the armpits flotted and adrip with blood, and in his hands two bloody daggers. He cried in a great voice, Treason in the camp, but I have scotched it. He that will have Galandus to his general, come up, and I shall mix his blood with his and make them familiar. By then had the king drawn on his silken hose and a clean silken shirt, and was about lacing his black doublet trimmed with diamonds. Thou tellest me, said he, two faults committed by Corsus that first he lost me a battle, and nigh half his men, and next he did murder Galandus in a spleen against him when he would have amended this. Killing Galandus in his sleep, said Gro, and sending him from the shade into the house of darkness. Well, said the king, there be two days in every month when whatever is begun will never reach completion, and I think it was on such a day he did execute his purpose upon Galandus. The whole camp, said Lord Grow, is up in a mutiny against him, "'being marvellously offended at the murder of so worthy a man in arms, "'yet durst they not openly go against him, for his veterans guard his person, "'and he hath let slice the guts out of some dozen or more that were foremost in murmuring at him, "'so that the rest are afeard to make open rebellion. "'I tell you, O King, your army of Demonland is in great danger and peril. "'Spitfire sitteth down before Owlswick in mickle strength, "'and there is no expectation that we shall hold out long without supply of men. "'There is danger, too, lest Corsus do some desperate act.' I see not how, with so mutinous an army as his, he can dare to attempt anything at all, yet hath he his ears filled with the continual sound of reputation, and the contempt which will be spread to the disgrace of him, if he repair not soon his fault on the rapes of Bremer. It is thought that the demons have no ships, and Laxus commandeth the sea. Yet hard it is to make any going betwixt the fleet and Owlswick, and there be many goodly harbours and places for building of ships in demon land. If they can stop our relieving of courses, and prevent Laxus with a fleet at spring, Maybe we shall be driven to a great calamity. How camest thou off? said the king. O king, answered Lord Gro, after this murder in Owlswick I did daily fear a fig or a knife, so for mine own health and witchlands, devised all the ways I could to come away, and gat at last to the fleet by stealth, and there took reed with Laxus, who is most hot upon Corsus for this ill deed of his, whereby all our hopes may end in smoke and prayed me come to you, for him as for myself, and for all true hearts of Witchland that do seek your greatness, O King, and not decay, that you might send them succour ere all be shent. For surely in course of some wild distraction hath overturned his old condition, and spilt the goodness you once did know in him. His luck hath gone from him, and he is now one that would fall on his back and break his nose. I pray you strike, ere fate strike first, and strike us into the hazard. Tush, said the King, do not lift me before I fall, "'Tis supper-time. "'Attend me to the banquet.' "'By now was Gerais the King in full festival attire, "'with his doublet of black Tiffany slashed with black velvet "'and broidered o'er with diamonds, "'black velvet hose cross-gartered with silver-spangled bands of silk, "'and a great black bear-skin mantle and collar of ponderous gold. "'The iron crown was on his head. "'He took down from his chamber-wall as they went by "'a sword hafted of blue steel "'with a pommel of bloodstone carved like a dead man's skull. This he bare naked in his hand, and they came into the banquet hall. They that were there rose to their feet in silence, gazing expectant on the king, where he stood between the pillars of the door, with that sharp sword held on high, and the jewelled crab of witchland ablaze above his brow. But most they marked his eyes. Surely the light in the eyes of the king under his beetle brows was like a light from the undisguised shed upward from the pit of hell. He said no word, but with a gesture beckoned Corinius. Carinius stood up and came to the king, slowly, as a night-walker, obedient to that dread gaze. His cloak of sky-blue silk was flung back from his shoulders. His chest, broad as a bull's, swelled beneath the shining silver scales of his burnie, that was short-sleeved, leaving his strong arms bare to view, with golden rings about the wrists. Proudly he stood before the king, his head firm-planted above his mighty throat and neck. His proud, luxurious mouth, made for wine-cups and for ladies' lips, firm-set above the square-shaven chin and jaw, the thick fair curls of his hair bound with black bryony, the insolence that dwelt in his dark blue eyes tamed for a while in face of that green bale-light that rose and fell in the steadfast gaze of the king. When they had so stood silent while men might count twenty breaths, the king spake, saying, corineus receive the name of the kingdom of Demonland, which thy lord and king give thee, and make homage to me thereof. The breath of amazement went about the hall. Corineus kneeled. The king gave him that sword which he held in his hand, bare for the slaughter, saying, With this sword, O Corineus, thou shalt wear out this blemish and blot that until now rested upon thee in mine eye. Corsus hath proved haggard. He hath made miss in Demonland. His sottish folly hath shut him up in Owlswick and lost me half his force. His jealousy, "'too maliciously and bloodily bent against my friends "'stead of mine enemies, hath lost me a good captain. "'The wonderful disorder and distresses of his army must, "'if thou amend it not, swing all our fortune "'at one chop from bliss to bale. "'If this be rightly handled by thee, "'one great stroke shall change every deal. "'Go thou, and prove thy demerits.' "'The Lord Quirinius stood up, "'holding the sword point downward in his hand. "'His face flamed red as an autumn sky, when leaden clouds break apart on a sudden westward, and the sun looks out between. My lord the king, said he, give me where I may sit down, I will make where I may lie down. Ere another moon shall wax again to the full, I will set forth from Tenemos. If I do not shortly remedy for you our fortunes which this bloody fool hath laboured to ruinate, spit in my face, O king, withhold from me the light of your countenance, and put spells upon me shall destroy and blast me for ever. End of chapter 18